Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for the redemption that you have provided for all people. Lord, in the blood of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so, Lord, today, as we look to Jesus, we pray that you would draw us near to him. Show us by his life an example what it means to live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Teach us by his commands, Lord, what it means to be in obedience to you, to trust and obey. And so, Lord, we pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would transform us today. Make us more like Jesus than when we began. It's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, the older I get, the more that I find that I am a get-to-the-bottom-line kind of a guy. In other words, if we're having a conversation and you've got some news to share with me, let's just get there. I don't need a meandering rhetorical journey that will lead me on paths that will finally reach this grand crescendo of the news. Let's just have the news. And maybe that's because I've lived through COVID and you've lived through COVID. Maybe because it's because I I look at a news feed or watch news programming. Let's just get to the bottom line. Let's see what it is and let's go on from there. And I mean, it's kind of pervasive throughout my life. I prefer nonfiction to fiction. You know, we used to have these things called bookstores, and in the bookstores, they would have a fiction section and a nonfiction section, and I never went to the fiction section. Just, just give, me the, give me the stuff. In fact, when I was in English classes, do y'all remember Cliff? He was a friend of mine. Cliff would take notes on the books and help you get to the bottom line of the books. To all my English teachers, thank you for your mercy. Um, but it just is what it is. When, when, when David Tooley calls me, and uh, it's so funny, I'll say, how's it going? And he'll go, well, and I know. I'm just, okay, here we go. What, what, what ride are we getting ready to go on? You know. But then immediately, we help each other in that way. We get to the bottom line, and, and then we decide where we go from there. But I'm thankful that God gives us the bottom line. And the bottom line of Christianity is this, to be a Christian, to go to heaven when you die. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot rely on your own good works because your good works, just like my good works, are stained by sin. The Bible says that our good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. He's perfect. We're not. So we don't go to him and say, look at all the good things I've done because even our good things don't match up to his holiness and perfection. Now, what do we do? We come to him with empty hands, and we say, the only hope that I have is that I might be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. So I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that he died on the cross to pay in full the price for my sin. I believe he rose again from the grave the third day, and that he lives today, and he gives eternal life to everyone who will come to him, turning away from their life of sin and turning to him as Lord and Savior. And really, that's the question. If someone were to ask you, why would you be allowed into heaven if you were to die today? There's only one answer, and it's Jesus. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose again, and I've placed every bit of my faith in Jesus Christ. So so that's the bottom line. You don't get extra credit for being a member of First Baptist Church. I'm sorry. Don't take your membership card up to the throne of judgment and say, look, I was a Baptist. That won't get you very far. All right? You won't get extra credit because you sang from a hymnal or because you sang from a screen. You certainly won't get any extra credit because you listened to a guy named Jeff. Definitely don't say that before the throne of God. Jesus. 
But then what does it mean to live out the faith? Because that's, that's the journey that so many of us are on. We've given our lives to Jesus, so what's the bottom line of living out the faith? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live out the faith once we're all delivered to the saints in a way that makes the world a better place around us. You know, students, we just gave you a keychain. We hope that little ichthus fish is a reminder to you, Will, that when you're out there, you belong to God, and he's got a hold of you. Emma, Brooks, all y'all that were up here, just a reminder that you belong to God, and you have a group of people who love you and who are praying for you and who will call your parents if we see you being crazy. We got to live out the faith. And our text today is going to give us the bottom line of what it means to live out the faith. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. That's page 848. Page 848 if you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. If you're not in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, I don't know what page it is. But it's Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verses 28 through 34. And we're going to see Jesus give us the bottom line of what it means to live out your faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. John Mark writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What is the bottom line of living out the Christian faith? First, you have to come to Christ. Remember, this guy answered right, but he hadn't come to Christ by faith in Christ alone. So he was not far from the kingdom of God. But remember, if you're not far from the kingdom of God, you're still in hell. Okay, so you got to get into the kingdom of God by placing explicit faith in Jesus Christ. But once you've done that, once you've trusted Christ, you're following Christ, what is the bottom line? Well, here it is. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people, period. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus taught us to do that, commanded us to do that, but he also modeled that for us. So our theme for the message today is Jesus modeled love. Jesus modeled love. And the first point comes from the first and greatest command. What does he say? He says, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The first point is that Jesus modeled love for God. Jesus modeled love for God. Jesus is quoting scripture in both of these commands. And the scripture that he is quoting first comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is known as the Shema. 
And it is recited by devout Jews at first thing when they wake up, last thing before they go to bed, in prayer services in the synagogue, and even on their deathbed. These words given to God's people by Moses in Deuteronomy remind God's people of what God expects. So first here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And remember, that is a proper name, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is one. He is singular in a land, even a promised land, surrounded by people who worship a multiplicity of gods. There is but one true and living God, Yahweh the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is to be worshiped as one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is Echad. Incidentally, if you have trouble with the Trinity, this will help. The word translated one in Hebrew is Echad. It's the exact same word that when God created the man and the woman and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become Echad, one. And so you and I worship God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, eternal, almighty God. What does the Shema command? Well, it commands, I think, three things. Number one, it commands recognition of who God is. God expects that he would be worshiped alone as God. You don't get to have almighty God and. That's not it. If you are in a Roman context, you don't get Yahweh and all the Roman gods. If you're in a Greek context, you don't get Yahweh and all the Greek gods. If you're in a pluralistic American society, you don't get Yahweh and whoever else you want to add to the picture. Almighty God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, singular. Our devotion to him must be pure. Jesus did that. And Jesus understood who God was. Jesus understood who God is. For the same God who in Exodus chapter 3 was speaking from a burning bush on the side of a mountain to Moses. Do you remember that? Remember Moses had to take his sandals off because he was on holy ground. God is commissioning Moses to go and do an impossible task. And Moses said, who am I supposed to tell him sent me? What does God say? He says, I am. You tell them, I am has sent you, the one who is, the existent one. God is. And there will never be a time when God isn't. There has never been a time when God wasn't. And there will never be a time when God will not be. God is. Interestingly, in John chapter 8, when Jesus was disputing with the religious leaders, and he said, before Abraham was, I am, he wasn't speaking with poor grammar. He was making a statement. He was identifying himself with the same one who spoke from a burning bush on the side of a mountain in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus is God in flesh. So Jesus understood who God was, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. And so Jesus is coming to reveal who God is. Secondly, the Shema calls God's people to unadulterated devotion to God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. God is to be worshiped and held in higher regard. What's the very first commandment of the ten? 
I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And what does that mean for you and me? Well, it certainly means you don't bow down to some carved idol, but it also means that God is preeminent in your life. He gets first place. He's got to be the very center of your existence, not something that you put in the milk section of your lunch tray. Remember the lunch trays back in the cafeteria? Right. God isn't something you put in the milk tray or the dessert tray or even the main dish tray. God's got to be the tray. He is the foundation upon which I build my life. He is most important. Jesus did that. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38, that I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Isn't that interesting? God the Son has come to do the will of God the Father, and he did it perfectly. And he says that we are to do the same. The same God who said, I am holy, so you be holy. Through Jesus Christ said, listen to this, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be by disciples. What's Jesus saying? Is he commanded hatred? No, of course not. That would contradict everything else he said. What is he saying? He's saying he has to be first. And only when God is in first place, at the center of our lives, the foundation upon which we build everything else, can everything else be rightly ordered. Let me tell you something. When my relationship with God is where it needs to be, I'm a much better husband. When my relationship with God is where it needs to be, I'm a much better dad. When my relationship with God is where it needs to be, I'm a much better coach, whether we win or lose. And when my relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be, every bit of that is affected. So it's got to be the most important thing. The third thing that the Shema commands is total obedience to God. Total obedience to God. God gave Israel 613 commandments, not just 10, 613. And he expected every one of them to be followed perfectly to the degree that in James 2.10, it says, if anyone keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point... He's guilty of breaking all of it. Total and complete obedience to God, and Jesus did that. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? We're coming up on Holy Week again. What was that prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he says something unbelievable. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself fully and finally to the will of Almighty God, to the Lordship of Almighty God. And then he said to us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Have you ever had a time in your life when you've called him Lord, Lord, and not done what he said? I'll go ahead and raise my hand and confess. And that's why we gather. That's why we look to the Word. That's why we pray, because God is taking dead things out of us and bringing us to Jesus to become more like him. You're still on a journey. You say, I got saved 40 years ago. Great. What's God working on in you now? Because he's not done with you yet. You'll be ready when he says you're ready to enter into those pearly gates. But until then, he's working that which is pleasing in his sight to make you and me more like Jesus. 
Well, there's an overflow to all of this, and it's the second thing that Jesus quotes. So, let me remind you, verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our second point, Jesus modeled love for people. Jesus modeled love for people. Now, again, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, and here specifically, he is quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. And I want to give you some context to this quotation, because in Leviticus chapter 19, God is telling his people what he expects them to be as his people. They're, they're supposed to be different. How many of you realize that God's people are supposed to be different? Your Facebook account ought to be different from everybody else's Facebook account. Your Twitter feed may May the Lord bless you and keep you, ought not to mimic what the world can provide. Your behavior behind the wheel of a car, watch your toes, I'm getting ready to step all over all of ours. Your behavior behind the wheel of a car ought to be different. Why? Because you're God's people. I'm God's people. The way you treat people ought to be different because we're God's people. In Leviticus chapter 19, God says this, listen to this. This is 19, 9 through 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." So what is God saying? He is our God and we are his people and that ought to mean something. And it ought to mean something in the way that we treat each other. Jesus modeled this. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus called ordinary people, fishermen, women who had struggled. Mary Magdalene had seven demons that were cast out of her. And Jesus said, come to me. Jesus called a tax collector named Matthew who had abandoned his own people, his own family, to make a profit from Rome, and Jesus said, follow me. Jesus went to a well in Samaria to a woman who had racial tension with him, ethnic tension with him, religious tension with him, gender-based tension with him, and he made sure he was there alone at the well when she showed up at noon because she wouldn't come early in the morning or at dusk when the other women were there because she had gotten sick of the looks and the whispers. And Jesus says, would you draw me some water from the well? And what does she give him in return? Contempt. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for water from me, a woman from Samaria? And what does Jesus do? 
Does he respond in kind? Does he give her contempt back? No. He shows her love. He's gracious. He is convictionally kind to her, even though she wasn't convictionally kind to him. He treats her as he would be treated, not as she has treated him. He's living out the faith. He's doing exactly what he's called us to do. What about the leper who came to him and said, not unclean, unclean, which is what he was supposed to do, but instead took a chance and came and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. He gave him mercy. What about the woman who had struggled for 12 years with an issue of blood and none of the doctors could help her? Nobody could help her. She had wasted all her money on ineffective treatments. But she just reaches out. She didn't ask for permission. She's past asking for permission. She reaches out and says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I believe I'll be made well. He gives her mercy and healing. What about the dad who's exhausted because he's watching his son suffer under demonic oppression? who brings the kid to Jesus, but Jesus isn't there, so he brings him to the disciples. The disciples can't make it happen. And then this huge argument ensues and walks up Jesus. What's going on? Well, I brought, brought my son. Your disciples weren't able to do anything. But if you can, if you can do anything, please help my boy. And Jesus says, if you can. All things are possible to the one who believes. And Jesus has mercy. What about the storm at sea? He's taking a nap in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm, and the disciples are freaking out because they think they're about to die, and apparently God is not interested in their plight. And they wake him up, and they say, Don't you care? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? God, don't you care? How many of you are glad to know that our God is not offended when we pray that prayer? He gets up and intervenes. Peace, be still. Jesus modeled love for God, and he modeled love for people by washing the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him. He exhibited love for God and love for people by doing the will of God and then dying on an old rugged cross for us. He arose from the grave and he loved God and loved people so much that he even reinstated the disciple who had denied him three times. And then he commissioned even people like you and me to go. So let me ask you this question. And let me ask you this question in the form of a story told by Jesus. These are the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let these speak to your heart today. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But watch. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You know, every Sunday we leave this room and we recognize as we leave or as we leave this experience that we are commissioned by God to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. This story would have shocked his hearers because a Samaritan would have been utterly hated and despised in every way. I mean, you think about whatever you feel the polar opposite of you is, and that's what a Samaritan was to them. But the Samaritan, the polar opposite of you, was the one who lived out the faith. And Jesus said what? You go and do likewise. So as we get ready to go from this experience, we have a call from Jesus, and it is this. You go and do likewise. At the restaurant, in the store, on the road, in your home, with those you love and with those you pray to love more, you go and do likewise. See, the bottom line of living out the faith in Jesus Christ is you love God with everything you are and you love people. Love God, love people, period. And you do it in the name of Jesus. And let them experience his love through you. Let's pray. Lord, it is only by your grace that any of this can happen. So we trust and follow Jesus, and we pray that you would bring Jesus forth from us to bless others. Let us love you. Let us love others. In Jesus' name, amen.